welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Um, anyway, if you have a Bible, turn to 2 Kings um, chapter 4, if you have a Bible with you. If not, we're going to read through a passage, a story here that um, as we wrap up, as, as I wrap up, I should say, next week, uh, Pastor Eddie's going to be speaking um, on forgiveness. So uh, he's going he's gonna to wrap up our forgiveness series, and um, then it'll be Easter Sunday. And so, but as I wrap up my portion of the Easter, of the uh, forgiveness message, um, I was just in prayer. I felt like the Lord was bringing this story back to my mind, to my heart. I've read it several times, preached on it once or twice, I think. Um, but it's just something that God was bringing up to my heart because last week we began to talk about the, 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 the issue of offense. So whenever your um, unforgiveness begins with an offense, bitterness begins with an offense. It starts with this woundedness that you have that somebody or something wounds you. And um, last week uh, I talked about that the, the person who offended you could be God. Um, in fact, if you have walked with God for more than five minutes, it definitely is God. Um, he is the rock of offense. He's very offensive at times to our human nature. And so, and so part of the forgiving process is actually releasing and forgiving God. And so this week I want to talk about forgiving other people. Um, and so initially I went to that passage uh, where Jesus talked about forgiveness, where uh, uh, he was telling his disciples about forgiveness. And in fact, he was really strict. He said, look, if you do not forgive men their sins against you, your heavenly father will not forgive you. And so Peter I think it was Peter who piped up and said, hey, wait, 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 wait. So how many times are we supposed to forgive? Because he's trying to, trying to get this practically. Like, well, I mean, I understand. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? Like, like what, where, where are the boundaries? What, how can I work this out in my everyday life? And so Peter thinks he's being real spiritual. And he says, how about seven times? I forgive somebody seven times. And Jesus says, well, actually, Peter, it's 70 times seven, um, which is to say an innumerable or an eternal amount of times. And, and it must have been just the look on his disciples' faces that Jesus felt he had to elaborate and go into a bit of a story. Because they're like, how can anybody do this? What are you talking about? And so Jesus goes into a story about how we can actually do this. And, and, and it's a story about a king who uh, has two servants, or he has multiple servants, but one of his servants owes him a ton of money. I mean, he's, he, he saw the new C8, and so he borrowed, you know, 95 grand to go get that car. Uh, he needed a flat screen TV, so he borrowed a few thousand for that. And he just kept borrowing and building up his life, living his life at the expense of the king. And then the king said, hey, uh, y you need to pay me back. And the man said, oh man, I've spent it all. And um, strange thing, uh, interesting note, when you, when you don't have enough money to buy something, don't borrow money for it. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Because if you didn't have enough then, you're not going to have enough later. And then now you've got to pay interest on top of that. And you have credit card bills and stress. And so anyway, this is just a good financial Dave Ramsey lesson for you. Uh, so that's, but this, that's what that man did. He's like, man, I got to live my life, you know, YOLO, like we have to do this. And so he's borrowing all this money. He's living his life. And finally, the king says, it's time to pay up. 
and he doesn't have the money to pay. And so he realizes he's going to go to jail for the rest of his life because he's basically stolen, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars from his employer. And he begs for mercy. And the king, the employer, forgives him of his debt. And Jesus is telling this story. And the thing I love about Jesus is he tells stories uh, instead of sometimes speaking direct truth because stories kind of get around your defenses, right? Because it's not you. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about this guy over here and this, this thing happened to him. <laughs> Asking for a friend kind of thing. And so it doesn't like, it doesn't hit you the same. And so the disciples are thinking, oh man, wow, what, this is a pretty great story. This guy's really been forgiven a lot. Yes, he has. And he walks out of that meeting, the guy who's been forgiven a lot, he walks out of that meeting, he's walking down the road and he runs into his friend, fellow servant, fellow employee who owes him a few dollars, right? And uh, he says, hey, you need to pay me the money. I was on my way to start and I really need a drink today. And uh, the guy says, I, I don't have it with me, but I'll get it to you later. No, you have to give it to me right now. And he gets into this altercation. And, and, and basically, he, he wants that guy arrested for not paying him a little bit of money. And Jesus says, then the king hears about this altercation, hears about this, 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 uh, uh, <laughs> uh, this uh, slap in the middle of the Oscars. The king hears about it. Because he's on Facebook, you know, and, and it's just everywhere. It's everywhere. And he says, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. You, I forgave you like half a million dollars. And you couldn't forgive this guy 10 bucks. And Jesus just asked the question. He says, what do you think will happen to that guy? Do you think this is fair? What do you think is going to happen? And the disciples, they say, well, no, he should, he should be, he should, he should be in trouble. Like, this is not Okay. He, Jesus is creating for him a heavenly perspective on forgiveness. That we who have been forgiven so much, if we hold on to offenses from other people, which I'm not saying that they're not offenses. I'm not saying that they haven't hurt us. But if we hold on to those, we're basically, this is an offense against God. We're basically forgetting what God has done for us. So it's so important. So honestly, uh, forgiveness is not, it's not something necessarily that starts in here, in, in, within your heart. It's something that literally starts up here. It's a mentality. It's a remembrance. It's a remembrance of what God has done for you. And so in order to sort of explain, as I was praying about this, the Lord brought this picture to me. And I, and I don't know if it'll make sense to you, but it makes sense to me. So let's go. Second Kings chapter four. We're going to start uh, verse eight. Yes, verse eight. Now it happened. If you don't have it, it's on the screen. Now it happened that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman. Notable means uh, wealthy or uh, well-to-do woman. There was a notable woman and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was as often as he passed by that he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband after some time, she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. It's interesting. She started cooking for him and he started passing by regularly. Uh, the Lord just directed his steps. <laughs> yeah. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed in there for him and a table and a chair and a lampstand. She, she, she thought this through. And so it will be whenever he comes to us that he can turn in here and not just eat, but he can rest. He can stay for a while. He can spend the night if he needs to. 
And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. And so he decided, he, he visited, they said, look, we have this upper room for you. He said, wow, that's amazing. So I can stay here while I'm doing ministry in this area in Shunem. And so he goes up and he stays there. And then he said to his servant, Gehazi, he said, call the Shunammite woman. And when he called her, she stood before him and he said to, uh, he said to uh, Gehazi, uh, he said, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all of this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? In other words, do you want me to get you a job in the castle? Do you want me to, you know, improve your life and improve your, your status in the community? Do you want me to give you influence? She answered and said, no, I dwell among my own people. In other words, I'm content where I'm at. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi actually answered and said, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said to her, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And that's, that's exactly what happened. So I just read this story just so you can get an overview. But I want to go back to the beginning verses. It says, now it happened. And it's interesting that that, that phrase is a couple of times in this passage. Uh, nothing just happens. God is working. God is moving. But anyway, sometimes the Bible, I think, tongue-in-cheek says, now it happened one day uh, that Elisha went to Shunem where there was a notable woman. Now, Elisha was a prophet of God. He was uh, a prophet who was training other prophets. He was a prophet during a period, during a season in, in Israel's history when being a prophet was not necessarily a safe job. Uh, prophets were uh, not necessarily popular, prophets of God. There was a clash, really, between Baal and Yahweh, which, which started with Jezebel, and Elijah dealt with that, but it was still going on. This, this, this issue of, of idolatry was still going on within the kingdom, and, and, and Elisha then, he had a school of prophets, and we know that he was trained. So, so when, he's, when he's in Shunem, he's not just there to, to pick up his, his dry cleaning. He's, he's probably there to do some ministry, to meet with some other prophets, to train some people, to perhaps talk to parents whose sons, you know, feel, feel called to the ministry, great. And so, so he's, he's, he's doing ministries, walking through Shunem, and this woman, this notable woman, uh, sees him and persuades him to eat some food. Now, right off the bat, this is, this is so interesting to me. Initially, it's not that interesting because you think, oh, well, they met, maybe, maybe they met at HEB, and what are you doing here? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Prophet Elisha. I'm trying to help some folks. Oh, great. You know, if you want to come uh, home with me, I can cook you a meal. Well, that would be wonderful. But, but, but what's interesting is when you begin to understand this lady's situation, her life, she's married to an elderly man who we know from later on in the verses is still working out in the fields. She's quite wealthy. So why he continues to work, I don't know. I think sometimes people who are wealthy are workaholics. It's, just a, it's not, not all of them, but I think sometimes that can be an issue. Maybe that's his deal. Uh, he's still in the field when he's old. He should be sending his servants out there, but he's still going out there every day. She's home alone. She apparently is not as old as he is because Gehazi didn't say they're both old. And I don't think he was just trying to be polite. Typically, they would be honest about that uh, because she wasn't even in the room. So he could have been like, well, they're old. But no, he said he's old. So she's not necessarily old. Now that's interesting. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, 
I don't know how, how all of this worked, but maybe he was an actor, right? Maybe, this, maybe he was good looking. We know he was wealthy. And somehow this couple got married and you, back then you would get uh, sort of betrothed by your parents. So it's not even like they met, she fell in love or anything like that. She's, she's stuck married to an old dude. <laughs> and I guess because he's old, like she can't have babies. Now, in those days, the woman's worth and value was basically tied up in, in, in her children. And her dreams as a young girl would have been tied up in her ability to have children. Her dreams would have been of a house full of kids running some of you, it freaks you out, but that would have been her dream. Like, that's what she's, that's what she grew up praying for. That's what she grew up longing for. Some of you actually did. And... God bless you. Uh, and, uh, but no, it's like that's, that's her thing. And yet she doesn't have it. Initially, when you start reading the story, you, you, don't, you don't see all, all of this. But as the story unfolds, you begin to see, like initially you see a notable woman. So you see a wealthy woman. So you think generally wealthy people have it made. Wealthy people are, they don't have any issues. They don't have any problems, right? Like when you're driving through Lakeway, you don't think, oh, look at all these poor people. Man, I just wish somebody would come along and help them, you know, with their massive houses. Last night I was cruising. It was my birthday yesterday. So I just took my, I took my, my convertible out and just for a ride. And I, and I pulled into a gas station because, you know, it, it uses a lot of gas. And it was kind of the middle of the night. And I pull in this gas station, pull up right next to a McLaren 600 Spider uh, version. There's only 500 of these things in the world that were ever made. The scissor doors are up. There's a dude pumping gas. He sees my car. He's like, man, that's sick. And I'm like, I'll trade you. You want a trailer? I'll trade you. I'm just saying, I love this, but I could see myself in that. You know what I'm saying? I'll sell it and then pay off my house. That's what I'll do. And, that's what, and then buy three of mine. You know, that's what I like. But anyway, I mean, carbon fiber everywhere, you know, and it was kind of cool. I got talking to him and I guess they, they do rides and stuff. So we exchanged numbers and things and he friended me on Facebook. So anyway, uh, it was kind of like this, this little, this little bro moment, I guess. Like I was, he was like, oh, this car is my dream car. And I'm like, hey, you could still have it for only this. I'm just saying, it's just, I'll give you the keys. Just so you don't ask any questions. Um, but anyway, uh, but no, pe people see people like that driving McLaren 600s and they think, oh man, they don't have any issues. They don't have any problems. You know, the beautiful girl in the car with them he just came from the, uh, the best restaurant in Austin. You know, he's in the best car that's driving around Austin right now. And it's like, wow, he doesn't have any problems. And so, and so we initially, we see this woman and I think we think the same thing. Here's a notable woman. She's well off. She has a big house. She has a lot of food in the fridge. She sees the poor prophet who honestly was not well off. The guy's just, I mean, he just relied on the hospitality of those around him. God was feeding him with like birds and doves and stuff, you know, by rivers and junk. I mean, like the dude's like, he's homeless, right? And she sees this homeless guy and she helps him out. And that's kind of like the, the part of the picture that we see. But then as you get reading more, you realize that she is missing something. That she actually has poverty. That all of us have poverty. <laughs> that all of us are poor in some area. All of us are deeply wounded in some area. All of us are deeply disappointed with life on some level. You have a prophet who is lacking food and shelter and you have a woman who has food and shelter, but she is lacking what she has longed for. She is lacking companionship of her husband. 
She is lacking children. She is lacking fulfillment in her life. And she's sitting alone in a dark, quiet house by herself. It's just interesting to me because you, you, you just read this and you think, okay, well, here's this nice woman and wow, she helps him out. No, no, no. She is in a, in a room by herself. No sounds of children, no kids running around, no husband to compliment her or share with her or no friends hanging out in the house. They're all watching their own kids. <laughs> They're all at the park with other parents who have kids. And she's stuck in her house. And so as I, was re- as I was reading this passage this week and thinking about it, I was like, man, right there, you can get really offended at God because you did everything right. You served him. And then God stuck you with this old dude. <laughs> and on top of that, you can't even have kids. And on top of that, you have all this wealth and everybody thinks you're good. But they don't know what keeps you up at night. They don't know how deeply you've been wounded. And, and, and usually what happens with people like that, usually what happens is they do. They try to surround themselves with the best of the best. Get, get the McLaren, get the mansion, get the job, get the girl, just so it looks good. Right? And so we build stuff up. But, but some of us, don't, we, we don't have enough money to get the McLaren, so we don't, we don't, we, we don't surround ourselves. I, I'm preaching to you guys, and you're like... Really? Is that what they do? Is that, is that how this works? Like, I've never even sat in one. What do you mean? Uh, yeah, no, no, some of us, we don't build up walls of wealth because we don't have enough wealth. Instead, we build up walls of disappointment. Like, like she's like, this is what's interesting to me. Elisha is walking through this town. He looks homeless. He is homeless. And yet this is the only lady who offers him some food. This is the only lady who goes out to the street and says, hey man, you, you want, like, do, do you need anything? Are you okay? Are you good? Well, yeah, I'm walking through the town. She persuades, she's the only person in the town of Shunem that persuades. How many disappointed, broken widows were in their homes that day? How many houses did Elisha walk by and nobody even saw him? Why? Because their doors were shut and their windows, their curtains were closed. We don't often build walls just with our wealth. We sometimes build walls with our disappointment. And we say, you know what? The the last time I put myself out there, uh, my parents hooked me up with this old dude and has left me disappointed the rest of my life. I am closing my door. I am closing my curtains. No one is ever going to hurt me again. And we we build up. I I saw a meme on Facebook a while back that said, don't judge my walls because you don't know what what I went through to put them up. You know, it basically was saying, look, this is my protection, okay? And that's how, that's, how, that's how we think of it. We think of it as our protection. We think of it as our boundary. And we're keeping people at arm's length. And we're keeping the distance. And we're, 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 we're quarantining in our, in our house. And we're closing our windows. And we're closing our doors. And we're not allowing anybody to get close to us. Because this is what's going to keep us safe. But it's not protection. It's a prison. As long as you have your doors closed and your windows closed, no one else can ever get in to make any of this better. This is the issue. Like so many of us get stuck in a particular place. Some of us even emotionally get stuck in a place in life. You were wounded at 14 and you still think like a 14 year old even though you're 34. 
You know what I mean? Like it's it's like it's like it's a we get when you close off and shut down and, and pull back and try to be safe to protect yourself. What happens is you end up prisoning, imprisoning yourself, and so and so you hide behind this stuff. I know this isn't actually a door. This is a pulpit, but actually that works too. We preach from our pain too. You know what I'm saying? I mean, man, people going through divorce got a lot of relationship advice. Because they're getting revelation, but you're not. Your pain is not. It's not giving you revelation. It's not like you're. You, it's, it's it's pain. You're healing. That'll give you revelation. On the other side of that pain, man, that's where you learn something. When you actually grow and mature and and get healed from it. But when you're in the middle of it, man, you don't know what's up or what's down. You're left and right. I mean, just like don't hide behind it. Don't preach from it. Get like. Like this, like Elisha walks past so many homes. He's walking past all these, it must have been a nice neighborhood. He's walking past all of these nice cars, not cars, but you know, all these nice chariots in the driveway. All the chariots are in the driveway. And he's walking past all these well-to-do places, but how many of them were broken, but didn't even see him because they had closed themselves off. But one lady was like, she's looking down the road. What's God going to do next? <laughs> What's, what's coming down the road? What's next? That's, like I, that's why I said forgiveness, is, it starts up here. It's a mentality. It's a mentality that I know God is good, even though I've been disappointed. And I'm interested, I'm curious about what God's going to do next. What's coming down the road next? Because it's a setup. Her, 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 her barrenness, her lack is a setup. Like God made sure she didn't have what she needed so that she would reach out to somebody who needed what she had. And when she reached out to somebody who needed what she had, then God got what she needed to her through the person who had what she had, who needed what she had. So it was a setup. God needed a place for Elijah to stay. So God left a hole in her life so that she had the resources. So that if she would have had a bunch of kids running around, she wouldn't have noticed Elisha either. If she would have had teenagers, she wouldn't have had anything to feed them. <laughs> come on. Come on, parents. Come on. He'd be like, come on in. Oh, wow, there's nothing in the fridge. What happened? What happened? Who took that? You know what I'm saying? Like, but God set her up. Her lack was actually the preparation for her to reach out and be a blessing to the prophet. And we don't know what happened through all of that. The Bible doesn't say what Elisha was even doing in that town. I swear, heaven is going to be, so much of heaven is going to be awards handed out to people who enabled other people to do what God called them to do. Widows who are ladies who opened up their home, lonely people who had something and they gave it. And that something empowered somebody else to do what God was calling them to do. So, 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 but, but you never do that. You never do that. If you close yourself off, you have to, you have to ask yourself what's next. <laughs> uh, I, you, you might notice I'm a little sunburned today. That's because I started um, coaching uh, Micah's uh, flag football. 
Um, their coach quit like a week before the games, and so they reached out to the parents, and I'm like, oh, okay. I've never even been to a flag football game before. Like, we played one one time, but I've never been to one of these, like, peewee ones. It's nine and ten-year-old um, boys and girls, and, and um, it, was, it was fun. We had our first game yesterday. We won. Come on, somebody. Um, it, was, it was my birthday present. We won. Uh, but it was good. And, uh, but, but, but what, what happened early on in the game, we were, like, we were, we were pretty bad. Actually, we didn't win because of me. We won because, like, we had a couple kids that were really good. And um, so they kind of, they helped me out. But uh, the problem is we were behind. We fell behind 12 to nothing in the end of the first half. And uh, early on in the game, early, like, kind of like in the first quarter, um, it's, it's, it's flag football. So you're not supposed to push or tackle or grab or shove or do any of that. And they, there's two referees that kind of keep track of all of that. Well, our kid, um, uh, one of our kids, who plays quarterback, uh, he, got, he got decked. He got hit pretty hard. Um, he, he, he got the pass off, which was the important thing, Jonathan. That was the important thing. He got the pass off. He didn't complete it, but he got it off, all right? And then he, got, he, got, he just got nailed. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I run up to him like, hey, Liam, Liam, you okay, man? You okay? And he's like, yeah, he kind of got up sort of slow. And I mean, he's kind of, you know, he, he got up, he's, he's a tough kid. He got up kind of slow. I'm like, all right, shake it off, shake it off. Come on. And so we're walking back to the sideline and he's like, he's like, coach, coach, that kid, that kid's not supposed to hit me. And I said, well, yeah, it's true. I mean, he's really not. But how come the ref didn't say anything? How come the ref didn't do anything? I'm like, I'm, I don't know. I like, I'm new to this dude. I don't even fly it on. I don't know. And uh, I said, I don't know. And uh, he's like, well, he's not supposed to hit me. And I'm like, man, it's okay. It's all right. You know, we'll figure it out. We can talk to the ref later, whatever. And so we get to the sideline. We go, I take the other group out. We are out there. I'm out there helping them do defense. And then we come back. And like this other kid tells me, oh, that kid wasn't supposed to hit tackle Liam. And it's like, it's spreading, you know? And so finally, like our, our, our halftime pep talk was me saying, guys, get over it. Like, seriously, Liam, are you hurt? No, I think I'm okay. Then shake it off. This is football, man. You got your teeth. You got your teeth that's still in your mouth. Then, then be happy. It's football. Suck it up, you know? So I don't know if I offended parents or not. I'm over there telling their little nine, 10 year old kids like, man up, man. Like, just like, <laughs> no, cause like I, 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 I did tell them, I said, look, we're not losing 12 to nothing cause Liam got tackled. We're losing 12 nothing because you guys aren't scoring touchdowns. Like, that's why we're losing 12 to nothing. So the best way, like, like all right, the, the, the ref has a job, and sometimes he doesn't do his job. But if you get caught up on what other people didn't do, you're not going to do your job. You're going to be in the, the third quarter still thinking about the missed call in the first quarter. Come on, Cowboy fans, speak to me, speak to me, speak to me. Come on. In the house of the Lord, somebody speak to me. In Detroit, we don't care about missed calls because we're going to miss the play anyway. So we're just going to be a fumble or something. The refs aren't going to help us out anyway. because they don't. But I mean, I said, guys, come on. Like you have control of this game. You can win this game. It, just pick yourself up. Forget about it. Forget about it. And, 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 and like, what's next? What, what ne- what's next is you need to get better at this play right here. Come on. He got, if, he, if, you can, if you can go through life, you, you can let go of so many offenses if you just ask yourself, what's God doing next? 
I can get stuck on what happened in the past, but honestly, I'm not behind because of that. Like, I, I missed this throw. I fumbled that hand off. But I, I, I didn't do good coverage in this particular play. These are all football terms, by the way. Very highly technical football terms. But anyway, you can move past stuff with the mentality. And this lady has that mentality. How do I know? Because she's actually noticing guys that are walking down the road. Not just noticing that, oh, there's a guy walking down the road. Oh, he looks kind of homeless. Is he okay? <laughs> she had the care package that we got, that we got uh, in, in the car. Why? Because he's looking, she's looking to bless somebody. One of the first things people do when they, when they get offended, when they get hurt, is they stop trying to be a blessing. As a pastor, I can tell you, uh, pastor of City Chapel, also associate pastor at Promise Land, the first thing that people would do when they get hurt and mad at, at, at like me or like the pastor or like the leadership or the church, the first thing they do, they wouldn't stop coming. Sometimes you wish they would, but they wouldn't stop coming. <laughs> no, because, you know, they're like, they're like, <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> You know, so it's like, man, could you, you, I think the Lord's leading you. The Lord's leading you somewhere else. Come on. Somewhere that you're not hurt and offended. You know, this, you gotta just, what's next? <laughs> uh, what's, <laughs> what church is next? But, you know, they, they, they wouldn't, like, if they were really hurt, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't necessarily stop coming. Because I guess they feel obligated to come to church or whatever. Uh, they'd stop giving. And like nobody really knows that, uh, regular people, they don't see that, it's not public knowledge. But, but, you know, the pastor at the end of the month looking through the giving record, and the pastor will see it and be like, hmm, that's interesting, okay. Maybe it's going through a hard time, I don't know. And, uh, and it's fine, it's, you don't, we, don't, we don't call people up and be like, you need to be giving. Uh, that's not how we roll. Um, but it's interesting. Over the years, I've noticed that as soon as somebody gets hurt, they stop trying to be a blessing. They pull back from giving financially to the church or really to any ministry, not just the church. They pull back, they pull back from serving. They pull back, before they had time on Sunday to help out, now they don't. They pull back from serving before they had time to help out on Wednesday night with the youth, but now they're too busy. It's like, it's like when they get hurt, they stop trying to help. And that's why, that's why I know this lady, even though she has a lot of reasons to be hurt, she's, she's, she's not because she's still ready to help. She still desires to be a help in whatever way that she can. And so she sees Elisha walking down the road and she says, how can I, how can I help him? I'll tell you what, I, I don't think I've ever seen somebody who is both generous and offended at the same time. I, I really don't. I don't think I've ever seen somebody who is both generous and unforgiving at the same time. If you struggle with unforgiveness, try generosity. You're like, well, that's not connected. Oh, yes, it is. Because when you live your life like this, with your fists wrapped tightly around your money, wrapped tightly around your time, wrapped tightly around your resources that God's given you to be a blessing to others, when you live your life like this, guess what? All the junk that people have also thrown in your lap, you're also holding on to that. The stuff somebody said to you back in sixth grade, you're still holding on to that. 
the stuff your parents didn't do or did do or whatever, you're still holding on to that. It's amazing. But what I've noticed is generous people who, you know, God prized their fingers off of, as, as, as Rocky was talking about, off of their money. When, he, when, when generous people begin to open up their hands and say, God, all that I have is yours. Here, you can take it. You can take 10% of everything that you give me off the top. I'm giving it to you. That's called tithing. You can take offerings as you lay it on my heart to help widows in Rwanda, to help these people over here, to, 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 to bring food and snacks and stuff to homeless people. Like, like here, here it is. And when you do that, it's interesting. You don't even mean to, but other things start falling out of your hands too. That offense from that, that, that thing that so-and-so did to you, that, that, the, the, the pain from the divorce, things start, things start also being released from your life. And so this lady, she... I, I think this is all, you're like, well, I just have to heal first. I have to heal first. That's like saying, that's like saying I can't go to the doctor yet because I got to heal first. I can't go to the hospital. I got to heal first. No, no, no. That's what, that's what the doctor's for. That's what the hospital's for. That's what generosity is for. Generosity is to help heal you. Gener this, is, this, is, this is what coming out of your house is for. This is what engaging with other people is for. You don't have to get healed before you engage with, with other people. Your engagement with other people will help heal you. You don't, have to be, you don't have to heal before you become generous with your resources. Your generosity with your resources will heal you. So God had this, this setup. He had a woman who did not have what she needed. And he had a man walking past her who did have what she needed, the power to speak a word into her life and suddenly she becomes pregnant. I mean, you know, that's pretty awesome. And God sends her resources down the road, but those resources aren't holding a flag saying, look, I have exactly what you need, invite me in your house. No, those resources look like a homeless man who needs something. So God often wraps what you need in another need that you can meet. Do you see that? Which is why when you close yourself off from helping, you also close yourself off from what you need. When you close yourself off from community, well, I'm not going to open my doors to anybody. I'm not going to trust anybody. I'm not going to You close yourself off to what you need. The very people that would help teach you that not everybody is that, like that guy. The very people, you, you're, you're blocking them. You have no chance of ever learning that, that, that God's people are, can actually be loving. That God's ministers can actually be wholesome. That, that, that marriage can actually be deep and fulfilling. You have no chance of that if you, if you just close the doors and say, I'm not going to allow anyone else in here. And in every sphere where we've closed the door, I believe God's calling us to open up. To open up the door. To say, what's next? What's God have next for me? I don't know about you, but I'm excited about what's next for City Chapel. I'm excited about what's next for my family. I'm excited about what's next in my life. And I'm not saying right, I'm not, I, I'm not, when, when, when I say that, I'm not even saying that right now everything's amazing. <laughs> because to be excited for what's next does not mean that everything right now is exactly how I would like it to be. It means that I am ready to look into, to lean into what God has next for me. I was driving uh, and uh, well, uh, I was 
started off, I was playing an old school album for my kids. I don't know if you guys ever do this, but um, when, I think when you reach 40, which I'm now 42, when you reach 40, you only listen to like songs you used to listen to. You know what I'm saying? Like songs from like 20 years ago or whatever. And so I just have this, you know, and so for me, it was like all Christian albums back then. And so I whipped out, uh, I found it some, some my, on my phone, um, uh, Audio Adrenaline. The Lift album. I don't know if you guys remember the Lift album. It was uh, the Ocean Floor and uh, Glory, and there's a lot of awesome songs. That so I was just playing it one day, and um, anyway, I, I just kind of left it on, and my 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 car just just the Bluetooth just hook, syncs it, and so we uh, Micah and I were, were were going for this ride early in the morning. We had to go get something, and um, and it was just playing, and it played a song which I didn't really even like that much. Even back when it came out, it was just one of the ones that just was on the album, and it never made it to the radio, but whatever, uh, and it was. It was, um, uh, let me see, the lyrics were, um, he's, uh, he's like, I sing a song just as long as I'm breathing, and I'm feeling good, and I'm feeling fine. It's, it's a lot better than that, but anyway. Um, I sing a song, a song of freedom, uh, start in the morning, um, late into the night, and then, uh, and then he's like, um, we got to tell everyone in the land, tell every girl, boy, woman, and man, rejoice, rejoice, that God's been good, yeah, good to me, rejoice, rejoice. I've been forgiven and I've been set free, you know, and it's kind of like, it's kind of like that. And it's just kind of like, it's fine, I guess. It's a fine song. Okay. If you're like, if you are feeling it, but like when you're not feeling it, which I wasn't feeling it that morning, I was, I I was just, I was just, I just kind of was listening to it and I was like, I never did like this song. (laughs) Yeah, it didn't age well. And, um, but then I was, but then, but then I was thinking a little deeper and I was like, man, I wonder, I wonder if that's how some people feel at City Chapel, like when they're not feeling it and they come in and like, we're up here and we're, we're feeling it and we're pretty hype about it. Um, you know, he loves us. Oh, how like, we're just like, wow. And like, you've had a rough week and things are not the way that you're so disappointed and you've stacked up all of these disappointments and you're this woman in this house. And, and Elisha's like, God's been good. Yeah, good to me. And it's like, I wonder, like, I wonder if that's how it feels. And so I was praying about that. I was like, Lord, like, how, how do we, how do we handle? Cause I'm wondering just for my own self, like, should I just not listen to this kind of music? Cause I, cause I, I, I want to listen to something a bit more real. Um, and so or, you know, and then how do we handle people who come in? Like, how, and the Lord really spoke to me. And he said, no, Harry, this, like, these kinds of rejoicing songs are important. Scripture says, rejoice in the Lord sometimes. And again, I will say, no, actually, it says rejoice in the Lord always. And so, but wait, how do I rejoice always? How? I, I don't feel rejoiced. I don't feel joyful always. I'm not happy about stuff that's going on always. I don't feel good about the future always. I'm not optimistic always. I, you know, there's some stuff I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how that's going to work out. I don't see any way around it. How do you rejoice always in real life? And the Lord said, no, Harry, like these songs are important, especially when you don't feel them. <laughs> he said, that's when you sing it. 
Because the song itself is celebrating not any particular physical thing that's happening. It's not celebrating that your kids are like doing great. It's not celebrating that your marriage is where you want it to be. It's not celebrating that your finances are, are where you would, where you hope they would be by now. It's not celebrating, it's not celebrating circumstances. It's celebrating that God has been good to you. <laughs> and is that true? Well, yes, logically, yes, that's true. I don't feel it, but yes, that's true. And God said, that's why it's important to sing it when you don't feel it. Because forgiveness starts up here. It's a mentality. Joy starts up here. It's a mentality. It's a mentality. It's not a feeling. Rejoice in the Lord always cannot possibly mean a feeling because you and I do not feel the same thing always. Our feelings are doing this. But our mentality can be, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mind can stay the same. And you can say, no, God has been good for me, uh, been good to me and for me. And so I'm going to stay focused on who he is and on his goodness. And I'm going to keep looking down the road. If what I have, if what I need is not in my house, I'm going to look around my house at what I have and see if somebody out there needs it. I'm going to keep looking down the road. I'm going to keep helping. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep loving. I'm going to keep giving. I'm going to keep walking with other people. I'm going to keep my door open. I'm going to keep my windows open. And I'm not going to try to get so busy surrounding myself with my wealth or surrounding myself with my activities. Drop this kid off there. Pick that kid up there. Drop this kid off there. Pick that kid up there. And so that I don't ever think about it. I'm not saying being busy is bad. I'm saying when you have to be busy because you can't sit alone, alone with your thoughts. That's, that's, that's where God's, God's ministry, that's where God's convicting you and saying, no, 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 this is, this is a busyness that is a need. It's not a joy to your life. So I'm excited about what's next. Hmm. Anybody else excited about what's next? Anybody else looking for what God's going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah.